Lambert und Karl-Heinz Riedle 1 zu 0 für Borussia Dortmund. meine Damen und Herren. Welcome back to another German football podcast. I'm joined again by Colin as usual. I've got a special guest today, but Colin, how are you doing before we get started? I don't particularly want to talk about football after last night and Gary United's capitulation, but German football's all right. Yeah, all right no, to you don't, we don't need to mention the honest men at all in this one because we've got a special guest on with us today. We've got Chris Lee uh, from the Outside Drought who's here to talk about his, um, his new book that's going to be coming out. We're looking forward to talking about that. The origin stories like the pioneers who took football to the world. So, Chris, how are you doing, mate? I'm all right. Thanks so much for having me on and the kind introduction. No problem at all. No problem at all. So, I mean, let's, let's just get straight into it. We'll, me and Colin will talk about the, the, the Bundesliga later on and have a couple of quiz, mm. but we'll, we'll focus this starting bit on is the main reason I'm getting you on. You know, obviously you've got a book mm. coming out. What was the main reason for starting it? Like, and getting all this information? Is it just something you're really interested in? Like, culture yeah. and football? Kind of happened by accident, really. I mean, I was, um, as you know, from outside, right, we, we collect a lot of stories around history and uh, ground hopping and things like that. Um, and I realised I'd been to just kind of been to a lot of the world's kind of several countries' first clubs. I've been to like Genoa, I've been to Royal Antwerp, uh, and I was sort of noticed there's a bit of like historical trends going on there. And then I ended up going to a thing called the the Rules Derby, which is the oldest derby in the world. It's between Sheffield FC and Hallam FC in Sheffield in Yorkshire. Um, and obviously, when they first played in 1860, the FA was still hasn't wasn't actually founded. There's still lots of different rules bowling around. Um, and no one had got consensus. So until 1863, when the Football Association wrote its uh, first rule book, um, there was lots of different formats and obviously some spun off. And we know Rugby Football Union was founded in 1871. So there's lots of different sort of terminology of what football was at this point. But um, yeah, I mean, it's just really interesting. Digging into it, reading around, reading lots of books. There's, there's plenty on it. Uh, obviously, there's some great books on Germany as well. So I thought, you know what, I'll, I'll stick together a, a kind of a look at how... Uh, in chronological order, country by country guide to how football got started in, in all the major countries. So it starts in obviously with with kind of the build up to uh, the Football Association in 1863. Uh, I moved to Scotland next, obviously, after the England chapter, um, although actually Queen's Park, Scotland's oldest club, is three years younger than Wrexham. But Scotland's contribution, as you know, uh, to football, world football is, is um significant and, and worthy of, 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 of a significant chapter, which it gets. Um, and obviously, Scots keep popping up all the way through the story. Not so much in Germany, though, by the way, um, but we'll come to that. Um, and then Wales and Ireland and then, and then Northern Europe. And then I sort of go down to South America before coming back to Central Europe. Uh, and then Germany features in that part of it, even though it was kind of earlier than most countries. Um, Southern Europe, and then I look Middle East and Africa, and then we finish in Asia Pacific, which is kind of like the way the game's going anyway. So that's kind of why it kind of ends up there. Nice. So let's, let's jump into the German side of things then. So we're mm -hmm. like... Germany, obviously, if people are aware of how kind of German football started, it was not maybe not frowned upon, but it wasn't looked on the same way as some of your other sports at the time was. Like gymnastics was obviously a massive uh, sport in Germany. At the time. Mm. What, what, how did it come around in um, in the Germany as a country, and where did it come from? Yeah, um, well, very good point you've made about gymnastics being a thing. Um, we'll 
we'll come to that in a minute, but I guess it's worth having a bit of context. Uh, 1874 is the, is the main year we're looking at here in terms of when football comes into the country. There's a bit of a scene in Dresden, which is the Dresden English Football Club. Um, and bear in mind, uh, English and British uh, terminology seems to sort of be very fluid in these times. So it probably wasn't all exclusive English, but there was, you know, a reverend in charge, which is quite interesting because when you read around the subject uh, of early football, reverends seem to appear quite a lot. And this is often to do with muscular Christianity, uh, which is a belief in the that young men should be out playing sports rather than um, you know thinking about other things and so there was that there was that element as well in the German kind of um, philosophy of Turnen which as you mentioned is the gymnastics and, and one of the key uh, people behind uh, the German gymnastics scene was um, uh, a certain individual called Friedrich Ludwig Jahn and those who are familiar with uh, the Stadia of Berlin will know that the Friedrich Ludwigstein Stadion is the home of BFC uh, Dynamo as well. Oh, it was. I don't think. I think they've moved, haven't they? I think it's due to get renovated. Yeah, I think they've moved yeah. back to the Sport Forum. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So it was their home when I went and saw them. Anyway, it certainly was. And it was mm. a great little venue just by Mauer Park. So I think they're actually renovating it, like you said. But anyway, he had a place named after him because obviously he was kind of behind this. Um, at the time and so you can imagine it was kind of um, very orderly and it was you know quite elite and there was a cultural exchange going on between um, Britain and Germany at this point let's remember that Queen Victoria is married to Prince Albert of Saxe-Coburg and Gotha at this time or just before actually because he died in 1861. Um, Germany itself had just been kind of unified from Prussia you know he's created this, this state by under Otto von Bismarck in 1871 so it's becoming wealthier and more confident um, as it goes it's just beaten France um, in the war as well and so yeah I mean in the 1870s you see these two um, kind of centers popping up one as I mentioned in Dresden so you've got expats playing for football in the Gorsa Garden there and then over in Braunschweig you have uh, well that's three people um, technically bringing the game into into um, the schools there. One, one is um, August Hermann, one is Konrad Koch, and one is his um, father-in-law, who's Friedrich Reck, who, who also helps sort of brings balls in. So they're traveling to and flow from England. Konrad Koch himself is uh, the one who translates the rules, introduces them uh, to his school. And there's a great film about him um, called Der Gans Großer Traum, Lessons of a Dream, that came out in tw 2011 and features Daniel Brühl, who some of you may know from uh, who played Nicky Lauda in um, Rush uh, alongside yeah. Chris Hemsworth um, as uh, James Hunt. And he also was in my personally, my favourite German film, um, Goodbye Lenin. I don't know if, if you've seen that at all. Oh. If you haven't, it's one of the best films you'll see about the sort of the crossover point between, uh, you know, when the wall comes down. So definitely worth looking at that. Um, so, yeah, that's what we see the, the game sort of enter the country in 1870s. 1840s it starts to pick up a little bit this is where we see the first clubs that we may still recognize appearing so BSC Germania for example which is Germany's oldest surviving club now plays in um, in the sort of 10th tier I think somewhere in the sort of regional Berlin uh, leagues they play in the, the Tempelhof Feld which is near Temp what is now Tempelhof Airport um, and that's obviously a big open space and that it's a bit like Queen's Park in Glasgow that's where a lot of, sort of teams were playing first because um, it was a nice big public open space, you know. So there's other teams that start around there, like um, Berlin FC Victoria 1889, which is now FC Victoria 1889, um, over in Lichterfeld, which you uh, may well know is one of the uh, another of Berlin's clubs um, in the Regionalliga Regionalliga Nordost, I think they are nowadays. 
Um, so they pop up around this time. We see Hirte Berlin come in 1892. Um, and so at this point, there's a sort of bit of a, a, a sort of Berlin scene going on, a bit of a Berlin um, uh, kind of league, mini league sort of thing. And so, yeah, this is where the, the advent of the Deutsche Fußball and Cricketbund and various other sort of um, uh, Bund Deutsche Fußballspieler. So these couple of associations, rival associations that are popping up in Berlin and a bit like in Italy, uh, a decade later, there's a debate over, you know, whether foreigners should be allowed to play or it should be German only and things like that. So the two of them are differing on that. Um, and then it's, um, yeah, it's, it's obviously becoming prestigious because at one point the Germany's Minister of Public Instruction is appearing at a match uh, between the Dresden English Football Club um, and uh, the English Football Club of Berlin, which, um, and it's also attended by the British ambassador, Sir Hedwig Malay. So, you know, it's it's certainly picking up as a thing in the 18, um, by the time we get we hit the 1890s. And just for context, where does that fit in, in for the rest of the world? As I mentioned, it comes, if you think about it being introduced to Germany in 1874, that's only 11 years after the football association has been formed. Um, in 1875, Oxford University tour with the football. So there must've been a culture there for them to have teams of which they're exchanging and sort of meeting um, and playing with. So. It's, that's a lot earlier than other other, other countries. Um, I think we're looking at uh, 1879 Saint Galen in, in Switzerland, one of the oldest ones. 1872 Lave in France. Uh, 1876 um, Copenhagen so in, in, in Copenhagen, uh, Denmark. So, you know, it is one of the sort of first European countries to really run with the ball, um, metaphorically speaking. Oh, well, it's, 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 it's uh, interesting to, to to see where. You would say it's like the world's most popular popular sport, and it's amazing how it's it managed to gravitate around the world at that time as well, uh, and find its its wee niche in every other countries. But like like we kind of mentioned at the start, you know, you, you were saying about the uh, it was kind of frowned upon because it was kind of looked as the English kind of kind of sport. What what could you kind of tell mm. us about that? Do you, do you, like how much do you know about that kind of thing where the the Germans were kind of like mm, like I, I think um, I definitely read somewhere in the um, early heises from Dortmund and there was about Schalke and Dortmund fans like that was that when the, uh, the Ruhr region was becoming very big at the time for football a lot of it was looked upon mm. like, oh that's the English game it's, it's a bit of a strange yep. thing to look at um, yeah it is I mean here's the thing I mean Schalke became good in the 30s didn't they um, but the you know we're looking at the so I should have mentioned at the beginning, our origin stories looks at the, the very first kick right up to the 1930 World Cup so it's basically the first kind of half century I suppose of football is development um, and how it got going but like you, you are right it's you think about the people who had time to play games in those days I mean we were quite lucky in this in, in the UK because we had the factory act which enabled people to take Saturday afternoon off as well as Sunday and then eventually the full weekend emerges um, as well so you know but there's other places where if you're playing sports it's very much just a gentleman only because you've got the time on your hands to do it and you've got the, the resources to go and do it and this is why in a lot of sort of European countries it comes out of elite schools it's the same in in the netherlands um you know in um Hallemshire football club was founded by you know people had been at you know elite schools and had ex access to to british culture likewise in denmark um and you know and otherwise it often comes through expat communities into um port cities like antwerp like genoa like Welba in spain um Cascais in, in portugal so it's kind of you know this is um this is kind of typically how the game enters the kind of certain countries, but it's certainly where in the areas where it came through uh, into uh, as an elite sport, they're the ones who are playing it. And obviously, if those who are, people are used to decorum, they're not used to contact sports. They wouldn't have seen contact sports necessarily before. 
Um, uh, it is frowned upon, it's seen as an English disease, which is obviously a terminology we'll hear a century later uh, for different reasons. Um, and also uh, one of Jim te teacher compares people to movement to monkeys and stuff, and he doesn't, he's frowned upon, as you said. So it's kind of, you know, it's not seen as, uh, as a gentleman, I suppose. It's interesting to know, actually, it was going around, I didn't realize that cricket was quite so popular, actually, in a lot of these sort of, um, North European places like Holland and, and uh, sorry, the Netherlands and, and Denmark at this point as well. So, it's um yeah, it's quite it's quite interesting how uh, how um it kind of eventually breaks down society. I think World War One had a big part to play with that. Certainly in, in the Netherlands, anyway, it kind of democratised the sport there because young men are playing it when they're mobilised and they've got a lot of downtime and to keep them fit. Uh, likewise, over in um, Czech Republic, it was that and and a lot of the Central European countries, World War One was it was important. And I suppose. Um, within Germany by this point, there's a lot of um, British coaches over there at the, at the time, including their Olympic coach, uh, Olympic team coach um, bef before World War One. So it's, um, yeah, it's certainly by that point, I think it's become more mainstream. So one of the things we, one of the things we, we spoke about before you came on and something that confused me, I tried to look for the whole, the whole week that we were speaking, trying to find us, what you said was the ill-fated Duisburg trip of 1896. Yes. You're going to have to explain that for me because I still can't find anything online. Yeah. I'm very interested. I've been to Duisburg myself and it's interesting mm. kind of, um, to look there. So you need to explain what this is for us. Uh, we'll do. They, they weren't all from Duisburg, but it's like they were kind of, most of them were, and that's where they, they sailed from. Um, it was, or set off from, I should say. Uh, so, yeah, I, I saw a mention to this team from Duisburg in, in Tortworn, um, Hesse's book, as you mentioned, you alluded to earlier, and I thought that's quite interesting. So I looked them up in the newspaper archive to find what was what they're about. And yeah, in 1896, um, team set off from Duisburg um, in northwest Germany, and they sailed to Sheerness in Kent, which is on the Isle of Sheppey. If you um, anyone's familiar with the UK geography, very much in the southeast corners, you can imagine a lot of the touring teams to and from Europe. Um, in the, in the first uh, kind of quarter century of football's existence came from the southeast of England. So Clapton, Tunbridge Wells, um, Harwich and Parkston in, in Essex. Um, so uh, one, of the, one of the teams as well that, that often the stopping off point um, was Sheerness and, and the team Sheffield United, which there, um, entertained this German side in front of a thousand spectators. They'd only literally got off the, bus, the boat that morning, went and played Sheffield United in the evening and they lost 9-0. Um, so... English press noticed these German uh, visitors and they refer to them as the German Football Association, which is not true because obviously the Deutsche Fußballbund wasn't founded till uh, 1900. Um, and then the team move on uh, to Chatham, which is down the road, and they lose 15-0. They then go and play Millwall in London, they lose 9-0, and then they finish uh, playing a select 11 at the Crystal Palace uh, sports ground the Crystal Palace team is made up of and it's not the Crystal Palace by the way uh, it's a team at Crystal Palace um, the it's made made up of three England internationals including G.O. Smith uh, who uh, scored a double hat-trick in that game um, M.H. Stanford uh, Stanford sorry and Charles Rayford Brown who is famous most famous for being the accredited with inventing the word soccer as an abbreviation for association. So when people say, oh, soccer is an Americanism, no, it's not. It's it's a very English word um, from a Corinthian player, Charles Rayford Brown, an England player. So, um, yeah, they, they get beaten 13-0 there. So effectively, they leave um, England after four matches, 46-0 down. Um, and obviously, the German sporting press are very scathing when they found out about this tour. Um, and this, be, this team has been referred to as the German national team. And it's like, no, we're not. So actually, 
like I should have mentioned this during the course of its development, it German uh, the Deutsche Fußballbund was founded by in 1900 um, by a sort of a collection of, um, I guess, the, the heads of, of um, you know, associations and, and, and clubs, and they all met. Um, uh, and that included Walter Bensonmann, who is a very influential person in the uh, 1890s. He particularly he founded some clubs. He founded Kicker magazine. He first uh, invited um, foreign teams to, to travel and also put together sort of unofficial uh, team German teams as well so he's there 1900 um, they are founded in 1904 they joined FIFA by telegram um, and so yeah it's off and running but then the the Mannschaft themselves don't actually play until 1908 and they lose 5-3 in Basel to Switzerland well the Swiss actually are very I mean I, I think you listened to me in, in uh, the, the Belgian podcast I mentioned the Swiss were actually very very influential in the early days of football they they founded clubs like Torino, Inter, FC Barcelona, Bari, um, Fluminense, um, Sporting Medellin. Um, so they were all over basically getting around the world, in, interested in tournaments, hosting, hosting into club tournaments as well. Um, you know, so yeah, the Swiss, I guess, being because they're at the heart of Europe, um, were kind of having this kind of exchange with, with, with neighboring countries and helping promote the game. So yeah, um, and that's where Benzeman ended up because he had to kind of flee the Nazis in the 1930s, unfortunately. Ah, yeah. See, when you so were talking about like um, about the, some of the oldest clubs that we've had, and you spoke about Germania and teams like that. We mm. mentioned at the start about kind of the way the kind of gymnastic thing worked into, and obviously, like you look at clubs like Valafeld Bochum, their badge mm. said 1848, but you don't actually see them playing football until 1938, if I'm right. Is that just yeah. do you think a lot of um, is that just where it all came from? Would you say this just this gym, gym, uh, gymnastics view that it just became football in the end, and that's what Germany yeah. had and. I think Heidenheim were also the same. They, they, I think their badge also says 1848, but they don't start until 1911. Maybe wrong. Yeah, like Munich 1860. I mean, they didn't play yeah. till the turn of the century as well. Yeah, um, it's it is like that. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense because a gym is going to be obviously where people do sports, and lots of other teams across uh, Europe came out of gymnasia. So, athletic club um, in in Bilbao, they came out of a gymnasium. Deportivo La Coruña came out of a gymnasium. Uh, Besiktas in Turkey came out of a gymnasium. MTK in Budapest. Um, you know, so yeah, the list goes on. So obviously, if you're into sports, you want to experiment with new things, you want to see what the latest thinking is. Um, and this game's taking off and, and people are playing it. So yeah, the gymnasiums are, are big in this. And um, so yeah, with what is kind of, as you mentioned, what can throw you off about German clubs, you think, oh, they're probably going since 1860. That's the same year that Hallam was formed and they're the second oldest club in the in the world. How, how's that possible? So it's not, it's that, you know, they didn't play football till the, um, turn of the century, but yeah, the, the, the foundation year when they were a gymnasium or solely a sort of multi-sports kind of organization was, the, was that particular year. So that's where you, with, with German clubs, you have to sort of, you know, um, be mindful yeah. of that when you look at the, their foundation date. But in terms of the oldest clubs, yes, the oldest existing one, uh, as I mentioned, is BFC Germania. They play just south of Tempelhof um, Airport, which is a wonderful open space nowadays, if, if anyone's not been there. Um, obviously, they've long been since, since eclipsed by their other sort of Berlin rivals. Um, but the in the north as well, when there's sort of in the 1880s, you see SC Germania, uh, which is a similar sounding name. Germania seems to pop up as lots of Borussias do as well. Um, but SC Germania of Hamburg was founded in 1887. Uh, and what is currently Hamburger SVAL, um, that was a founded uh, in 1919 by a mixture of three clubs, one of which was SC Germania, uh, SC Falke, Eppendorp, and um, Hamburger FC. So that's kind of, you know, this wonderfully famous 
Hamburg club now has its roots right back at the sort of the dawn of times. And also I should say the very first German championship was held in Hamburg as well at Altona 93's ground. Um, and that was won by VfL Leipzig, which is now Lokomotiva Leipzig. One of the things I noticed about a lot of German clubs, like they've got at Hamburg, you say they've got these mm. like old foundation dates, but then maybe you look at their history and you'll see that they're a merger of two or three clubs, like Heidenheim even, you mentioned mm-hmm. that. I believe they're a merger just in the 2000s. And then mm-hmm. they just afterwards they rose from amateur football into like Zweite Bundesliga as they are now. Yeah, and it makes sense. Somewhere. I mean, yeah, I mean, look, Hamburg's Foundation Day 1919 is a bit of a giveaway, really, because obviously it's a year after World War One, so they're probably you know the country's kind of bankrupt. So, so what you've got to consolidate your resources. I imagine that's probably what happened with them. Um, but also, I mean, if you look at it's interesting to see who the late bloomers were as well, because if you think about Bayern München, they're formed in 1900. Um, and they don't actually sort of start excelling and winning things till the 1930s. So, you know, uh, and now obviously, well, since the 60s, they've been the sort of the dominant force in Germany, whereas like everyone's taken their turn, like Schalke did have a period, uh, Hamburg have had a period in the late 70s, early 90s, Mönchengladbach uh, in the 70s. So, yeah, I mean, you know, everyone sort of takes their turn, I guess. Yeah, that was that was one I was going to ask. I was going to mention about. I know, obviously, we, we mentioned earlier that we don't go past uh, like before the war started. But if you look at Köln after the, the Second World War, they they emerged from three teams as well. So it's the same kind of system. It seems to be something that the Germans had to do, considering. But how yeah, I mean, uh, I think with German football in general, it's had to sort of press reset a couple of times. Um, well, more than that, actually, because obviously, if you think about this, two two World Wars and the reunification period, so. Or the East East German teams, the former East German teams, have kind of struggled to assimilate in the new league as well. Uh, and there were some formerly great clubs in there, like you know Magdeburg, um, Leipzig. We just mentioned as well. So it's kind of um, uh, with German football. That, I mean, the Bundesliga didn't start till eighteen, uh, sorry, nineteen sixty three. Even then, it was just the, the West German clubs and the West Berlin club, Hertha Berlin. So it's it's, it's quite a um, I say a stunted development. They weren't really that successful internationally obviously until 1954 onwards really um and, and even 1954 is a kind of a bit of a uh, kind of an anomaly um they only really sort of pick up and become really good in the, in the 70s onwards another thing we spoke about was that you, you find in a lot of kind of the origin stories of other nations um, and you mentioned especially in south america where the germans pop up quite a lot like what was the main reason mm-hmm. for that why, why were germans becoming pioneers in south america football yeah, so around this time, I guess late Victorian era, so you've been exposed to football, you got good at it, you like it, um, and you want to sort of play it. Um, there's a lot of kind of North European interest in South America at this time, which is starting to get open up, be discovered interesting. Obviously, in Brazil, you've got like a coffee trade um, between between Britain and Brazil's big, t- um, you know, big thing. Um, Uruguay and Argentina have got you know beef and other resources. So um, there's a lot that go down, say, with the railways, for example. Um, in in um, in Argentina and Uruguay, uh, so there is a German community in in these kind of uh, three major South American footballing countries, and Brazil comes quite a bit later actually than than Uruguay and, and um, Argentina in its development. So uh, if we look at Uruguay, for example, uh, Henry Lichtenberger, who's uh, one of the founders of Albion FC, which is the oldest team in uh, Uruguay, um, also in um, in Brazil, we have another Germania uh, formed by a guy called Hans Noberling. And also Brazil's kind of first superstar, who's a kind of dual heritage player called um, Arthur Friedenreich. His father is, is German as well. So, yeah, I mean, 
uh, and also one of the, um, if you look at the kind of the members list of, of Peñarol or, or Kurk, as it was then known, the Central Uruguayan Railway Cricket Club, uh, Peña, it changed the footballing arm span out just before World War II and became Club Atlético Peñarol, which everyone knows now as their famous sort of black and yellow stripes, which, by the way, because it has it's a uh, nod to their railway heritage because it comes out of uh, it's apparently the colours of Stevenson Rocket, which is the first train in the world. So there they are with the famous um, black and yellow stripes. And there you see Germans on their sort of like early um, roster as well. So it's very sort of welcoming and inclusive uh, club at that, uh, at that point as well. So there's local, local born players got to play for Peñarol, or what is now Peñarol, I should say. It's, so it's, it's, it's strange that you, you, you find these popping up. Um, I, I'm sure after you'd go all around the world and you find different nations pop up everywhere. That's just the way the world works. But it's, it's interesting mm-hmm. to see that after Germany took it on, uh, they, they managed to play their part. Um, in other countries and developing their game as well and I mean you can see that now Germany's became a, one of the, the top nations in football as well um, so you could probably it, it makes sense why they were pinnacle to what, how some nations actually revolted and made made football generation their own Yeah absolutely and it's kind of goes beyond the borders a bit of a as you, as you know there's, there's German people in other uh, also German speaking communities in other parts of Europe. So one of the founders, uh, one of the kind of early comp- competitors in the in the German football league is, is um, DFC Prague, which is a German team from Prague as well. So, and their, their um, chairman was one of the first sort of chairman of, of um, the DFB as well. So um, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's, it's a fascinating um, kind of story, I suppose. And they, they had that sort of, because of where they were, I guess, in Europe, they had that sort of inter- interchange with all their neighbours. But like I said, Germany has been a bit of a late bloomer, both in terms of club success and, and national team success. Definitely. It's, it's, it's really interesting, I think. And like, if we just kind of, like, um, towards the end, like, how, 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 how much did you enjoy, like, the research for this, like, the, the writing of it? Like, are you, are you glad you, you've got <laughs> up the line now, or was it just, was it just a great uh, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it took, I mean, it took like four years uh, and then I spent a year probably editing it and it's like, um, it's a bit, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's there, I mean, someone like Germany, luckily there's quite a bit written on it um, already, you know, in various parts uh, of books and, and, and um, you know, like I said, that once you get a clue somewhere, you, you, you can sort of explore that further with say uh, newspaper archives as well. Um, the museum's great. It's got some great online resources. Well, I didn't get to go over there for that because um, last time I went to Germany, I wasn't actually researching this book. Uh, you know, for a ground hopping weekend, I wasn't actually researching mm. this book. So it's been a while since I've been to Germany um, for other than work reasons. Um, but um, it's uh, where's, where's I going with? It? Oh yeah. Um, so yeah, I've managed to find some some. I speak where every chapter I've gone to, I've tried to speak to someone a local historian uh, and get get the um sort of the, you know the lowdown on what, what the case was in that in that country and how the game got started and luckily obviously in germany people speak really good english so it was um that wasn't too much of a challenge so the german chapter itself is is one of my favorite ones um to write and and it's still it's, it's my favorite public country to go ground hopping in even the current day and I, I opened the chapter on germany with that saying how what sort of pr success germany's been in the last kind of few years um you know, if you think about 2000 and the Euro 2000, the low point when they got knocked out, um, you know, in the group stage, which is kind of unheard of uh, at that point. The, you know, I know they're having a bit of ch- a bit of a challenge at the international level at the minute, but you know, from from a club point of view, um, the league is wonderful. It's cheap. Um, you know, you can drink beer in the stadium. 
Um, the atmosphere is fantastic. Um, it's great to get about. There's some great clubs. The only thing I think it's lacking at the minute is competition at the highest level. Um, but then I think a lot of the charm in German football isn't actually at that level. I think it's kind of like lower down in the, in the, in the sort of, you know, the quirky sort of clubs and the former greats and, and the sort of, you know, regional leagues and the old stadiums like Postadion in Berlin. And um, uh, yeah, it's just that, you know, that that's kind of where I find my sort of um, love of German football. Yeah. That's, that's, that's great. Did you, did you, do you sympathise with any team after researching them now? Like, especially from Germany, maybe from the football um, from Germany, does it, any research on a team make you go, you know, I actually quite like the way they, they, they've, they've started, the way they've went? Like, do you, have you found that? Uh, no, well, here's the thing. My, my, my team in Germany, I was always quite open with, um, you know, selecting a team. Um, but actually, after a visit a few years ago, it was um, um, FC Union Berlin. Uh, and I feel kind of like a bit like when you discover a band when you're a teenager and then everyone else starts liking them and you kind of like, <laughs> I feel a bit like that. But suddenly they're promoted and everyone's like, um, you know, liking uh, FC, um, sorry, Union Berlin. So, but yeah, it's a lot of fun uh, over at Berlin, uh, Union Berlin, but they didn't really feature in this, um, in this one. I think they're kind of, um, so in terms of within the German chapter, I didn't really find um, any particular clubs that I thought I felt any sort of particular, you know, um, extra love for you know I am working on a I should keep this kind of under my hat but I'm working on a second book at the minute and there will be a chapter on Germany in that book as well and but that is about sort of politics so it's going to be a little bit different but obviously you could as you'd expect um, clubs like Sao Paulo will, will feature in that as well so um, yeah the um, you know watch this space on that one. Ah sounds great right we'll get three minutes so just we'll so we don't need to go into a new one we'll just try and uh, finish up in these three minutes. So no, that sounds great. Um, so just uh, remind us um, when when it'll be coming out. Um, and uh, me and Colin especially can uh, vouch for it. it. Sounds like it's going to be a, a fantastic read, and we we really enjoy chatting to you today. Anyway. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, Origin stories of the pioneers who took football to the world, and it's out via Pitch Publishing on the nineteenth of April. And you can follow me at Outside Right. That's W R I T E um, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and um, or OutsideRight.co.uk. Sounds brilliant, right? Thanks very much for chatting to us, Chris. Uh, hopefully, we'll speak to you again soon. So that was that was enjoyable, wasn't it, Colin? Just to hear about how German football came to light um, back in the back in the day. Say back in the day, like it was our time a long long time ago. Back in the good old days. Back in the good old when days. There was, uh, yeah, it was really really interesting. Uh, good to get a re- refresher about the history because Red Tor by Uli Hesse, which covers a lot of that, but that was a few years ago now. So. It was really interesting to hear it again. Yeah, no, I, I read um, the Beyond the Yellow Wall from Uli Hess. I just don't know why we're plugging him twice, but um, I had a lot of stuff about the Ruhr region uh, becoming a thing, which is really interesting. Um, read that as well, so uh, go there, there's, there's books, if anyone's listening. There's another couple of books for you to listen. We're just going to plug books all, all episode now. No, but uh, definitely go check out Chris's um, Football Origins book. I think it's going to be really interesting to see the other, um, the other nations as well. That'll be great. So... What me and Colin will do now uh, is we're just going to run through the Bundesliga weekend, weekend coming up, and we're going to test each other as a quiz because it's just the two of us today. Um, so for the next 20 minutes, 30 minutes, just let's get back into some modern-day Bundesliga football. Colin, a decent, decent enough weekend, some shocks. Any? What was the big game that stuck out for you? Surely it was not Leipzig-Bayern because that just wasn't... Uh, oh, a, that was... Just 
depressing. I, Bayern, I mean, if we're sticking with it, if we're, if we're starting with it, Bayern were Get out of ruthlessly efficient, I guess. But yeah. Leipzig were the opposite. Leipzig had chances, which they didn't take, I recall, or more having a couple of chances that hit wide by the post. Maybe uh, another question about Leipzig not playing it or starting an out-and-out striker. Zola from the bench only came on, but he started started Forsberg as the furthest player forward again. Maybe they're still suffering, because that, that's been the question throughout a lot of the season. Maybe replacing Berner with not players of not the same standard that aren't really good enough to start. So start um, starting a formation with no out-and-out striker maybe has been to their detriment. Taking the FC Kiln um, for the rest of the season, clearly. <laughs> Um, and that's not, never a good road to fall. <laughs> definitely not. But no, I just I was I, I actually didn't get to, I watched uh, every game this weekend apart from the two uh, Saturday night games. I missed actually missed the Leipzig and the the Leipzig Bayern and the Gladbach Freiburg game. So I was hoping you'd kind of take over for them if you if you managed to get a wee bit of them. But um, I think um, routine Gretzka. I think Gretzka. I think he is still very underrated around the world. I think Gretzka is one of the best players in the world at this moment. I, I, correct me if you think I'm wrong, but I think Gretzka is probably one of the best midfielders in the world, and he gets outshone by players like Pogba because they play in the Premier League. Mm. Uh, I think Gretzka is an outstanding player. I don't think I could rate him any higher. He's fantastic. And he's just bulked up in the past couple of years at Bayern since his days at Bochum, you know, since his days at Schalke. Mm. He's been an absolute steal for Bayern. Surely he's got to be one. Would you agree he's one of the best players in the world? Yeah, I think he, he's been excellent this season as well. Um, yeah, I think just Bundesliga, Bundesliga players can often go under the radar. I remember you asking last week about the lead-up to the Scotland game with Kalajic had gone under the radar. And just I think particularly because Goretzka's come from Bochum, so playing the second division, then come through, uh, played for Schalke. So he's not only ever been in the Bundesliga, but perhaps if he'd played in other European leagues, he would have that recognition. Mm-hmm. But... Yeah, he's an excellent, great finish from him as well. I think he he's going to be a key man for Germany in the summer. Yeah, definitely. I think he's got to be the main man. Him and Kimmich, you know, they, they've got to be the main men for Germany coming into Europe. But we'll go into a big Euros uh, if, we, if we actually want to. I don't think it'll be worth talking about Germany Euros because they'll be done by the first three games. Um, but not, we'll, we'll see how they get on. It doesn't look very promising. But I, I just think Goretzka's pro- proved in that game that he is one of the most, like, especially losing Lewandowski, he stepped up to be the man uh, the team needed, I think, um, considering they lost their best player in Lewandowski, which will be a shame for the next couple of games, a shame for all fantasy players out there as well, losing their, their, their guaranteed points. Possible. But titles, Bayern's now, would you say? Yeah, seven points clear now. I don't think there is any doubt now. No, at all. I talked about seven points clear. Dortmund losing to Frankfurt, and I know we're we're now we're now talking after watching last night's game where they weren't actually they, they were okay against Man City, uh, they were very unlucky. But I think to get that away goal was crucial for them. But see if you forget about the Man City game last night, you look at Saturday, it just wasn't good enough again for Dortmund, and it's just it's just naivety, it's just losing, it's just losing goals they maybe shouldn't be losing as well. But credit to to Frankfurt, Frankfurt were excellent. Um, I don't know what you're kind of making this game, but I think yeah. Dortmund are now gone for Champions League. Seven points is too much to, to make up 
or in teams like Frankfurt and Wolfsburg at the moment. Yeah, yeah, no, another case, seven points, a big gap at this stage of the season is just too much to make up, just giving themselves far too much to do. This really was the last chance, like six point now. Frankfurt fully deserved the win, uh, and it had been coming, I think. They had had a couple of chances, Elzanka got that disallowed goal as well, there's a couple of penalty appeals. Uh, maybe uh, there was the uncertainty during the week about uh, Erling Holland with his agent and Baller travel around to other clubs, apparently, but so that a bit of transfer uncertainty and just the general feeling that he's feeling quite frustrated with the rest of his side just now. Yeah, it's, it's a strange one because people are making a narrative about Haaland and it's just, just kind of let him figure out where he's going to go if he's going to go. Like, I think. I was very set on Holland will not leave this season. Uh, like Holland will definitely stay, but neither one against Champions League. It depends how they do against City in the return leg. I think if they manage to to win or something out of that game, which I, I really don't think they will, unfortunately. Uh, but they did put up a good fight last night. Seven points is too far away. Do you think it's just keeping Terzic in there has not actually helped them at all? It's kind of made things worse for them. I don't. I don't know if it's made things worse. I don't. I think they've, they've definitely looked like they've improved in certain spells under them. Uh, there had been a run of games that they looked to have picked up a bit of momentum. Then they dropped the points at Köln, which wasn't great for them. And this massive game just uh, just at the weekend there, which they really needed to win, I think, at home. Uh, whether the whether anything would have been different if they'd continued with Favre. I'm not sure if that's. Uh, I'm not. I'm not sure if uh, they would have been in a much improved position. And it's not like they were going to get Rosa during the season either. No, not at all. So it's it's, a, it's, a, it's definitely. It's hard to say that it's a factor, but it, it's got to have a detrimental factor on the players as well. The fact that it's, it's just they weren't in a terrible position. In fact, if you look at the position when Favre left. Frankfurt were maybe like 10 points behind them, a couple of point, like places in the league behind them, and they were only a couple of places off the top four. And you're, you're maybe looking now and thinking, did, did they need to make that change if they knew they were making it in the summer? So it's, a, it's definitely a difficult one. Uh, there. And if you look at going, going to Rosa and you move on to Gladbach's game, two Rams finally showed up. Just took him the 27 match days. Uh, he got a double uh, at the, the weekend against Freiburg. I mean, I say that jokingly, but Turam hasn't been a, a factor for Gladbach season. He's just he had those that A game ban. I don't know. It just it'd be good to see him back in the score sheet. Yeah, whatever he does this season is probably going to be overshadowed by the disciplinary issues. Ah, definitely, the spitting incident. Uh, but it, it's good good to see him get a double for Gladbach because I, I think they have been let down by their strikers at times this season. A lot of times they've relied on goals from midfield, so to get a reliable goal threat is quite important for them. And I think that's something that has been a bit of a downfall for them chasing European football. They now get two wins in a row, getting that win against Schalke, put them back on track. And Freiburg beating them is a, is quite decent for them. No, no pushovers. 
definitely a good result. Definitely a good result. Look at the, when you look at the table now, it just pushes them back into that race for sixth place. It's going to be a bit difficult. Uh, Bayer and Leverkusen obviously uh, beating uh, Schalke. Just calling on the line, I would say. Yeah, uh, Schalke. Um, not the Schalke, much very impressive goals were very poor again to concede. Um, you know, Wolfsburg beating Köln one 0 Um, actually, what I did was watch the the conference for the first time because I wanted to, I wanted to still see how Köln were getting on. Uh, this was the first time I watched it with like a lot of games on. And I'm not gonna lie, I didn't really enjoy it as much. It's kind of it takes away the, it takes away the excitement of the game and the the, the moments happening at the time because sometimes it just goes ah Torben Bremen and then like it just goes to a goal that happened two minutes ago. Uh, you know it's it's nice but it's it's good because I saw every goal from Saturday, but the main reason was obviously I wanted to see um, how FC got on at Wolfsburg one 0 defeat no shock there, but I wanted to see the the Mainz Bielefeld game. Uh, a lot of a lot of hope get built up in this game, and it just it, it started brightly and then just kind of dwindled down. Would you say, you know, one each in the end, probably a good result for Mainz than Bielefeld, but it's not terrible for Bielefeld considering Köln and Hertha's results as well. I think it's a bit of a missed opportunity for both sides. Like saying it's probably better for Mainz, but and that that is probably true because they don't need to win as much. They're the team above the line, but it was a missed opportunity. I mean, they they're just they've just been in the back of two wins in a row. A great chance at home to one of the leagues with your sides just to to extend that run and push themselves above the line a bit more. But never managed to do that mm. after taking the lead. Needing a penalty to score against Bielefeld as well, who aren't the worst side defensively, to be fair. But maybe a, a bit of a missed opportunity for Bielefeld as well. It's good they managed to get back into the game, but I in their position, they'd want to be beating the sides that are in around that area. So I think it was a bit of a missed opportunity for both teams. But for Mainz, their next fixture is massive away to Köln. We'll get into that once we finish up with these games. Definitely, probably the main game to talk about coming up. But yeah, that um, obviously the other game was the well. Stuttgart and Vader Bremen on Sunday, but maybe the more the less we talked about that, the better it was in the it was an exciting game. But, but Bornas Rosa has proved time and time again he's a cracking player. See his delivery, his delivery, his shots and goal, he's a great player, Bornas Rosa. I'm really impressed with his um what he's brought to Stuttgart this season. Uh probably the the bright spot to talk about. I mean, Kalizic made the goal happen, it was obviously an own goal. But he kind of made that goal happen with his movement uh, from Bonas Rosa's cross. So, Stuttgart can only really have positives to speak about this season. It's another good result. It's another result that takes them that bit closer to, to finishing in the top uh, six if they can make it four points behind. It'll be interesting to see going forward. But uh, the other game was what started off, I thought, was a great, fiery, um, Ultrating, thriving Derby turned into the second half. It just kind of died, didn't it? It was, it was the first half was great. Second half just, what? <laughs> yeah, first half, first half was brilliant. Like it was so intense. Like when you Robert Andrick was going to a... kill someone. Robert Andrick <laughs> could have killed someone. It looks like he's going to kill someone, and it looked like he was going to. And Gwendozi as well. I'm not a big fan of Gwendozi, but he, he was going down like he get hit by a pile of bricks, you know, every time and stuff like that. It made the derby what it was for the first 45 minutes and then both teams came in the second half and just looked like they didn't want to play. I see you want from the derby, like what you saw in the first half, like challenges flying in, loads of chances, 
the goals, but uh, teams hitting the woodwork as well, having lots of chances. It's quite end to end, but second half was just I don't know, it was so so drab. Like it seemed like both teams just accepted the point, but Hertha Hertha should have been a bit more ambitious. Yeah. At first, I thought afterwards I was like, "Oh, that's typical bar- uh, pal Dardai." Like, remember his last spell in charge? They just seemed so negative at times, really cautious. And this seemed like another another occasion of that. But I saw his post-match interview, and he was saying like he'd instructed his players to have, like apply high pressure and win the ball back quickly. And he's saying, "Oh, but they never did that, or something like that." So is is that the lack of intensity from the players? Union uh, as well. I mean, they're they're facing facing one of the poorest sides defensively in the league. So you thought they thought like a derby game, both teams should just be going for it. Mm-hmm. It's just, three I just points, don't understand just... it. I don't understand. Like, if anyone picked up that win, they're, uh, they're two points off of uh, Leverkusen. The way Leverkusen are playing at the moment, anyone could pick that up. I, I think be, they, they should be quite disappointed with that. I think Berlin, again, it's another from Mainz Bielefeld. Both teams probably, not that anyone need the points, but if they want the aspirations again to Europe, they, they, sh- they should be wanting those points. I think it's just a missed opportunity for both. It was built up. I, th- I don't think it was built up greatly to Derby, but I, I just think that the first half, like we both said, outstanding. Tackles flying in. Andrik was going to get arrested by the end of the game, it looked like. He just he just kept going running everyone. I loved it. It was amazing. You don't see that anymore. And, you know, the fact he was a health youth player and now he's playing for Union, I think it's brilliant. I think it's absolutely brilliant. Um, but, you know, uh, Cruiser... Like again, like I said, I thought he would be the one to kind of take taking our ownership of the game. He did; it was great. But second half, like we said, no one really took the game by the scruff of the neck, and ended up being quite just, a disappointing end of the weekend. Yeah, just fizzled out really. Like even taking the taking out the fact about the league positions, just for a derby game, you'd want to go for it a bit more. I mean, Piontek for Hertha didn't get on until the last couple of minutes. So. I think both both coaches don't really seem to favour starting Piontek. When it, wherever yeah. you see Cordoba, you don't. I'm not seeing Cordoba offer. I didn't, well, I didn't see Cordoba offer much in the game at the weekend there, and it's been the same in previous occasions. But quite often he's the one that's preferred to start rather than Piontek. But I don't know what you expect Piontek to do if he's on for about three or four minutes. Like. Exactly. I don't really know, but I'm. I'm. It makes. I don't know about you, but it makes me more worried that Hertha could actually go down. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd spoken quite positively about them in the preview episode, saying I had a, a feeling about them because they could really build on that win that they got against Leverkusen 3-0. But this was a missed opportunity. To be fair, though, they do have some more winnable games coming up uh, the weekend. They are what home to Gladbach, which... Sounds like a tough game, but I think that's doable. It's a similar game to the Leverkusen one, but an underperforming team this season. And then following that, they do have sides like Schalke to face. They've got Bielefeld to face. So the, the points are there for them. They just need to go for it. <laughs> well, a lot of teams just kind of lacked. It was, a bit, it was a bit of a lacking weekend, I would say. I don't know if it's just after the international break. A lot of players must have been really tired playing three games, mm-hmm. but national team come back and played uh, on the Saturday especially so 
It was, it was an okay Bundesliga week, but it's not one that I would say that's the pinnacle of the Bundesliga, personally. But hopefully, match day 28 is going to prove that. So we start on Friday. Bielefeld against Freiburg. Uh, that could be an interesting one. Freiburg don't really have much to play for now. You know, that I don't think they're going to be the team that goes for Europe. So just consolidating them, uh, their place in the top half of the table would be great for them. Bielefeld, a win's needed, you would say, wouldn't you? Yeah, it's just another game. I mean, failing to pick up the three points against Mike's, I think they need to take advantage of a home game like this following that against Freiburg. Mm. I think um, at this stage of the season, it is actually tough to take points away from fellow relegation candidates because they get so much to play for. But I think Freiburg, although they've got that outside chance of Europe, uh, they don't really have much pressure on them. So it maybe is the kind of game that you you want at this stage of the season. Definitely. We move into Saturday, Bayern against Union. I mean, for me, that game... Union are probably not going to come away with anything at the end of this one, just because it's just one of those games that Bayern have a, a scruffy a scruffy win. They're probably going to go out the next game and prove a point, even without Lewandowski. Um, still, I'm going to back Bayern to, to come out on top of that and just consolidate their, their championship status again. Uh, the interesting one on the Saturday for me is Frankfurt against Wolfsburg. This, this could be a really interesting game, don't you think? Just looking at the, you know, third v fourth, Frankfurt win, the third is still on for them. I mean, it seems quite strange to say it, but I, I, it doesn't feel like there's that much to play for in that game because I think both sides are Happy quite enough. well cemented in the top four. But yeah, if, as you say, like going for third, I think that's that's possible for Frankfurt. But with that win against Dortmund, I think they've, they've almost achieved their goals uh, by getting that Champions League but. Just, just in terms of the two sides, just really performed well this season. So from that aspect, it should be a really good game. Silva against Veghorst as well, great strikers. Yeah, I was going to say, do you think Frankfurt could end up losing uh, Silva by the end of the season? There's going to be a lot of interest winning for him, considering the season he's had. Uh, if, the, if they're getting Champions League, which I think it looks like they are, then not this summer, I think. He would want to play in the Champions League for them. I mean, unless a massive offer came in from a fellow Champions League club. But I think he'll, he'll want to stick around for the Champions League. Yeah, my only uh, thing for that was that he's actually tried other leagues. Like, he's been in Syria, he's been in La Liga. He's not set the world alight. The Bundesliga is where he's found his niche. You know, he's played in the, uh, the, the Portuguese League as well. I don't know, I think this could be the club for him, but it's the Premier League call. Sometimes players can't uh, bat down that hatch, unfortunately. Um, so it could be interesting coming into the season. Uh, but uh, what about, so we look on to Hertha, Gladbach, as you said, could be an interesting one, but Hertha probably needing to win in that. Uh, Gladbach, again, I don't think they're going to, I don't think, I think they'll just miss out in the top six, unfortunately. Uh, but if they grab a win against Hertha, it makes it interesting in both ends of the table. Bremen, Leipzig. Does this win award for most uninspiring game of the weekend? Like, there's much yeah. nothing to play for either team. I know it's well. It's like you said last week about Werder Bremen being safe. I still don't. I'm still not fully confident about them. Really, uh, five where points. they are, the five points from fifteenth. They do look poor though, but I think they'll be fine. Seven points. I don't think. Oh, surely not. 
Surely not, but I think they need I think they need one more win just to secure it. Like Augsburg have managed. Augsburg have got up to 32 points now. If Berda can get up to 32 or 33 points, I think they'll be fine. But mm. just that they are they are in a poor run at the moment. So just last year makes me worried about them because they were so close to going down. But I mean, that's a fair point. Um, so we look at Saturday evening's fixture is Stuttgart against Dortmund. Will we see a repeat of the 5-1 victory at the Westfalen Stadion earlier this season? Probably not, but... No, must have been. I was hoping you were going to say aye. You know, make it more exciting. You know, a 10-2 deficit on Dortmund is enough. I think uh, Stuttgart have got... and I've got it in them to beat Dortmund on the day uh, this season. I don't know if Dortmund's result against... Uh, not result, but performance against Man City might gear them up ahead of it but they may also be looking ahead to the second leg as well a very interesting game that one I'm going to change my my opinion Schalke Augsburg is that the game that's the, the most unappeasing game of the weekend oh, so that's on Sunday isn't it on TV that's I'm looking forward to that that, no, that TV game that looks very I was going to say low scoring, but unless Schalke have another nil fear against Augsburg, mm. you never know. Give it Not much to say about that. Like, I think it'll be a good game. <laughs> I'm, trying yeah. I'm trying my best. Well, we'll skip the Sunday game and come back to it because um, the next uh, Monday night there's a Hoffenheim against uh, Leverkusen. Again, Leverkusen probably want to consolidate the you know their top six status. Hannes Wolf getting a win in his first game, which is um, a great start for him. But it'll be interesting to see how they end the season. Hoffenheim's probably a chance they can go and win. But let's finish up before we head into a couple of quizzes with uh, Kern against Mainz. The, the, it's the um, Carnival uh, teams up against each other. This is a, I, I think out of all the games that we were speaking about before in the past couple of podcasts of the relegation games that are coming up, you know, Kellen have to play Hertha, Mainz have to play us. I think this is the biggest one. Because I generally believe that if Kellen don't win this game, Kellen will get relegated. I think now I've, I've came to the, I don't, they've been so uninspiring now. And I generally think that Kellen, mm. if they do not beat Mainz, Kellen will be one of the, either the relegated team or the relegation uh, playoff team. Do you think if they don't win, Gisdor will be sacked? I don't know. I think it depends on how the other results go as well because it's the last game of the week. It's one of the last games of the weekend. Uh, that kind of well, it will be the last game that matters to them. But see if Mainz win and Hertha win uh, and Bielefeld manage to scramble something against Freit. I mean, I don't think Hertha are going to beat Mönchengladbach, but there's no there's no saying that Bielefeld can't beat Freiburg. I think the game's a bogey for Kellen after that. I think this is a really important game for Kellen. I think Kellen actually need to go and play a striker for one. Not bring Anderson on for the last 10 minutes, as they've been doing since he came back last week. Uh, they need to... They really need to go for it this game. And Mainz have proven time and time again that, as as you said, you know they're, they're probably going to stay up. They're probably going to remain... Uh, keep their Bundesliga status intact. Yeah. It's difficult to say because I've just not been impressed by Colin. No, I'm quite worried. Quite worried about it. Um, you're laughing. You're not worried. <laughs> I'd rather. I'd probably rather Colin say that than Mainz, despite my prediction. 
Hmm. I mean, that's a fair point. It's, uh, Manchester seem to... They don't win. Not, they, they, I mean, they, they have won games recently, but like against these other teams near the bottom, they've managed to grab these draws. Got the draw. They got, they got a draw away to Hertha. They got a draw at Schalke. They got the draw against Bielefeld again. You can see that. You can see it being another low-scoring draw against Köln, which would be quite useless for the home side. I think. It's just, I think it's huge. I think it's there's, there should be more riding on this game than maybe people are thinking. I think this is the biggest relegation derby for the end, the end of the season because of what's coming up. And then, but the thing is, it, I say all that, and then Kellen's last two games are obviously Hertha and Sch- uh, Schalke. So that's two massive games. But I think this is the first one. This is the this is the this will be the indicator of how the last six games are going to go. Uh, depending on this game, the last six games after this. I think if Kern lose, confidence is low. They're not looking, I don't know. Probably the first time I've sounded very pessimistic about the club, but I generally have no hope for this club if they get beat against Mainz on Saturday. I've just seen you getting slowly and slowly more negative. As I don't get so much off <laughs> You're already wearing a Werder Bremen shirt instead. Is that, is uh, that I how you're going to I think you mean that ahead of the Focal game. I just, I just picked something out the cover between green today. Uh, found out it was a fair dream. Our friend Dennis will not be happy tonight. Um, I mean, apparently the top a really good fight. We missed it, obviously, with the recording with uh, Chris, uh, which seems like I liked it we go now. Uh, I just did a road me thing. But what we're going to do now, as we've finished up, I think we've kind of covered the preview and review uh, for the Bundesliga League this weekend. We're going to move on to a quiz. And what we're going to do this week, we're going to, we're going to test each other since it's just the two of us. And I think I'll go first. Just to, just to because, you know, my podcast, I'm going to go first. But it's my bottom, I'm taking it home. Uh, <laughs> so, what we're going to do, Colin, I thought since we were talking about origin stories with uh, Chris earlier, he actually kind of ruined one of my, my, my answers, and you'll understand in a minute why I had to change it. Um, what I've got is 10 clubs. I'm going, to get, I'm going to tell you 10 clubs, and you need to tell me the year they were formed. But as we spoke about club origins earlier, um, most most of the clubs that I had and I had to get I were already mentioned and years were made, so I've had to change a couple. Okay, so we're gonna just jump straight into it because I'll probably will take us a couple of minutes to do this one and see how well you do out of ten. Okay, so some easy ones, some not so easy ones. We'll see where you go. Ready? Mm-hmm. Also, do, are we winning? Like, if, do we win? Like, if I get more answers than you and your my quiz, do I win? I don't know. I don't know because uh, I'm looking at my quiz and my quiz is like 10 actual questions and I think I'm sure maybe shorten that. No, that's fine. It's fine. Go on. All right. Okay, that's fine now. Cool. Well, uh, that's why I went after I go first because it would be uh, yeah, yeah. So, here we go. So, Colin, are you ready? I am ready. Okay. We'll start with an easy one. Dave Albee, Borussia Dortmund, when were they formed? 1909. One point to Colin. Give it to saying sorry. Next team, Kaiser Slautern. Uh, 1900. Two points to Colin. Because uh, I've got the centenary shot, which oh. is like nine two thousand. Fair play, fair play. We spoke about them earlier. Jan Regensburg. 
1907. Close. Mate. First one you got wrong, though. Close. You're all getting, if you're one-off or anything like that, you need to get the exact date. Nah, yeah. So, speaking about Regensburg, they were beaten by Bremen tonight. When were Bremen born? Eh, born. <laughs> when were Bremen born? <laughs> Not on the badging. 19... 1911. Oh, 1899. Here's Bremen. A pre-1900s team. So, you've got, uh, you've got two right out of four. You've went from full marks to half marks now. That's that's not your material. <laughs> M is Val Duisburg. Oh. They sing it a lot. I can re- from being at the stadium, they've got is like an anniversary thing on it. It says like 111 years. 111. 1902. Well done. Yeah. It's like 1902 to uh, 2013, 111 years. Yeah, that's fair play. So three, three, three out of five, not bad. Bayern München. I feel like Chris said this. 19... 1904. He did say it, and it's 1900 exactly. Oh, um, another one we mentioned, and I couldn't change because I don't think we actually said the date. Heidenheim, eighteen forty-eight. We're going from when the football team was formed. I'll give you. I'll give you another chance. Oh, um, when the football team was formed. Originally, not the merger. Not the merger. Yeah. Original. Nineteen hundred. No, 1911. Well, so you're on four. Four, four's not bad. So we've got two, three left. Erste FC Köln. 1947. Oh, 48. Oh, no, no. Oh, oh no. Is that wrong? We've had this as a quiz as well before. I asked, that, I asked you that as well. I know. Right, last two. RB Leipzig. 2009. Five points. You've got half. That's not bad. Last one. Oh, that's uh, 1965. Well, wait, six points. That's good. Six out of ten. Are you pleased with that? I'll, I'll take that. I'm annoyed about the ones I heard early in the episode yeah. which I got wrong. But... Oh, that's true. <laughs> so, like, okay, you got six out of ten in yours. Let's see how I fare. I'm not looking forward to it, though. So, this is a bit more of a traditional quiz. Ten, just ten questions with mm-hmm. ten answers on mostly Bundesliga-related stuff. Quite a lot of this season. The first question is... How many goals did Mario Gomez score for Wolfsburg in his spell there? In his full spell, yeah. Bundesliga goals, I should specify. How long was he there for? He was there from 16 to 18. Well, thank you, that helped. Uh, I'm going to say 23. 
Wrong. 17. Ah. Oh, this is going to be a guess and like, all wrong. Question two. As it stands, what is the current relegation playoff? Who would be playing in the Bundesliga relegation? As it stands right now? As it stands right now. Kern against Reuter yep. Furth. Yes. There, there's the first point. So yeah. a, bit of a, a bit of a topical question. At the weekend, well, we, we, we talked about in this episode, Robert Andrich. Which yeah. club did Union sign him from? Oh, shit. There was a club between him and Hertha, wasn't there? Them and Hertha, wasn't there? I don't know what you're telling me. Well, no, they're not getting us in Hertha, because that's where his youth career was, surely. Um, oh, I, don't, I actually don't know. I'm going to... Yes. Rostock. Heidenheim. Heidenheim. Oh, that would make sense. So when you hear things and it... So two out of three. No, wait, one out of three, sorry. Yeah, one out of three. Question four. How many consecutive seasons in their current run have Mainz had in the Bundesliga? Oh, don't do this, because this is the what got me like wrong with the... Remember the quiz we had, and it was like which teams have played in the this Vital Liga in the last oh. time. Oh, I forgot, I'm getting flashbacks. <laughs> Should learn from that then. Oh, it's, got, it's more than 10, I know that. <laughs> I'm going to go with 12, though. That's correct. Yes! Two out of this four. is our 12th consecutive season. That's quite that's good achievement. So that's. Two points out of five. Oh, two points out of four, sorry. Half marks so far. Question five. Which player has covered the most distance in the Bundesliga this season? Oh. Is it Baku? Neither Baku? It is not. Oh. It is Elias Scary. Scary? Fuck. Yeah. 324.85 kilometres. And he averages per 90 12.87 kilometers. He is everywhere to be fair. I thought Baku, because Baku runs a lot, like mm. his position, he does like, well, yeah. Okay, two out of five. That's that's not bad. I can, I can still get half marks. I can still beat you with seven. Question six. Uh, which side are the low scorers this season? The Bundesliga. Shelter. Yeah, I really regret doing that question. That's so easy. <laughs> I was thinking it's like a trick question. It was going to be like Hertha. But, um, no. I thought you'd maybe try and second guess yourself and be like, oh, Schalke's too obvious. I'll see I did. I mean, yeah. Schalke have only scored 17 league goals this season, so uh, they are the lowest scorers. Who is the oldest Bundesliga scorer of all time? The oldest? Yeah. Mirror's lap closer. No, Claudio Pizarro. Oh, shit, I knew that! He scored it for Cook, did he not score it for Kern? Oh, no, Werder Bremen, obviously. Werder Bremen. You're, you're saying that and you've got a Werder Bremen top and you've got a Kern scarf on the, the wall and I've you been, don't know Claudio Pizarro was the oldest goal. I've seen Claudio Pizarro live for Kern against Bremen. <laughs> he was oh, 40 years... That's an easy point. 
40 years and 227 days. Oh, I fucked it. Still in th three marks going into the final three questions. So, now, Question eight. Who is Augsburg's top scorer this season? Andre Hahn. Yeah. Seven goals. Well. So that's four. When was the last non-Bayern championship? Which season? 2012. 2011, 12 season. No, 2012, 2013. Not 2011, 12. Oh, fuck! <laughs> 12, 15, 2012, that was my answer. I wanted to specify the season, then you said that, that was 2012, 13, so that's wrong. Dortmund in 2011, 2012. That's a no max for that. I, should, I said 2012, they lifted the trophy in 2012. I, then I asked you to specify the season and you got it wrong. So that's one, two, that's four, four right. How many did I get right? Six. I've got one so you can't catch me? No, fuck off. No. So the final question, which side did Hertha lose to in the DFB Pokal? Eintracht Braunschweig. That's correct. I don't know why I did the big Five game. out of ten. Half marks. Boy, I should have got seven. I should have got um, the Dortmund one and I should have got Claudio Pizarro. You should know that Skiri was the... Ah, yeah. I thought, that, I thought Baku was a guest, though. It wasn't a, I think he's got the most sprints or something. I was looking at the Bundesliga stats the other day. Uh, I think he's got the most sprints or something like that. Well, there we go. So, Colin, I don't know if that means you win. You're probably going to take it as a win. It through, does. Right? I'm going to take it as... Well, I'm certainly not going to take it as my unbeaten record ending. Oh, well, there we go. There we go. So, Colin wins again. Thanks very much to Chris for coming on. You know, it was really interesting to hear. Hopefully, people are maybe interested in getting his book when it comes out on the 19th of April. It was really interesting to hear all the stuff he had going on. Bundesliga is back after the international break. We had a bit of a sloppy start, but we're getting there. We're getting back into the last seven games are coming up. We're really looking forward to it. So hopefully it's a good game this weekend. Hopefully Kellen will beat, get beat by Mainz. And we'll see you later. Bye.